Welcome to Truncated Thoughts presented by Prescouter, where we focus on big ideas in life science. I'm Jeremy Schmerer, and today we have a special episode as I will be joined by three of my esteemed colleagues, Dr. Ryan LaRanger, Dr. Joao Guerrero, and Dr. Michael Boat. It has been a wild two years as the pandemic has raged on. While it has been filled with some uncertainty, some turmoil, even some arguments, there has also been a lot of innovation that has come with that. So today, we're going to take a look at the pandemic in terms of those innovations, discuss maybe even some predictions for when will this thing end, the masks, the vaccines, the compliance, the science, where are we, where are we really headed with this? So I'm going to kick things over to Joao to, to get us started. Thank you, Jeremy. And maybe thinking about what has the pandemic brought in terms of changes in the way that we see healthcare, for me, one of the big ones that I know to start with is telemedicine. You know, telemedicine is something that everyone has heard of right now, but two years ago, um, I think less than 10% of people in the US, for example, had ever had an experience. Nowadays, that's probably close to 60 or 70%. You know, even I, I know that in the UK, for example, there's been actually some fight back from doctors that don't want to go back into person-to-person -person, uh, consultations because they feel that a lot of it can be screened before people get there. So, you know, telemedicine is something that has brought new opportunities. It's, it can help a lot with screening. And we've seen a huge technological advancement with that. I was looking into some data the other day. Investment in telemedicine was around $6 billion US dollars from 2018, 19, etc. It jumped to 10 in 2020, and it's over 13 right now. You know, so that's more than double than it was. And, and that's something that COVID brought a lot of new uh, companies and a lot of new, um, you know, interesting technologies that really came and changed how we deal with medicine. So, so Michael or Ryan, what are some of your initial thoughts, perhaps building on, on what uh, Joao was saying? Oh, gosh. I, so, <laughs> first of all, so when you're talking about COVID, right, uh, it's part of what we need to do is talk about what is a sticky change and what is something which will go away when uh, COVID does to some degree or another, right? And an important thing here is um, to indicate that this telemedicine trend, because it sort of existed before a little bit, but there just wasn't that activation energy to get it started, that's likely to continue on well past right? And uh, tragically, another thing which is probably going to uh, support that is we're seeing a lot of burnout in healthcare providers. And that might wind up leading to a pretty significant decrease in the number of active nurses, particularly in urban areas. And a way to overcome those labor shortages is by um, more automation, more application of machine learning in health, and more remote visits where you can reduce the amount of just time pressure on individual healthcare providers. And that's, again, something which is sticky because it's not just related to COVID. You know, this is something that was coming anyway. What with the aging population, just more patients. But this is just something which has accelerated that trend. That's what I would add. Yeah, I, th I think it, it's a very interesting uh, field of study. Um, and it, it, it also transcends into the corporate world, right? Um, not only telemedicine for, for people at home, but also how do you monitor during these times the health of your employees um, at large? Um, and I know that 
there's also a lot of developments around around those kinds of situations. Um, one, I guess, one related topic to to telehealth that I'm particularly passionate about is um, the link between having telemedicine as part of a testing regimen, whether that's diagnostic testing, uh, particular to COVID, or even thinking very broadly. Uh, now that people are getting more and more used to to diagnostic testing or self testing, things like wellness things that monitor stress levels in people. Um, these all are now geared towards very actively at-home use or point-of-care use using telemedicine to convey some of those results back to, to clinicians. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great, um, great point, Michael. And it kind of, to me, ties back to what Joao was saying, where even the doctors don't necessarily want to come back to the office. And I think a lot of us have really built out this at-home perspective, and that extends to so many facets of healthcare and wellness and tracking and testing. Joao, any other thoughts from you as it relates to, to diagnostics? Yeah, I, I, would, I would say that it's, it's definitely an area where we've, we're seeing a shift because for a long time, you know, you, you know that you can do diagnostics um, I don't know, in an easy way. People will, for example, send the sample maybe to, to be tested, but what was available was, was very short. There were very few, for example, infectious disease that you could do. There are a few other ones. I think what COVID came to show was that hey, you can actually test very easily uh, a lot of diseases and, and people will be able to do it in an effective manner. It works. And I think another thing that came with that is that we're getting to now to, to a stage where with some of the advancements you know, that Ryan mentioned on you know, AI, machine learning, et cetera, that we can deal with a lot more data. You know? So one part of telemedicine that I, I feel is also on the growth is the part with your um, monitoring medical devices, you know, collecting those sort of vitals, a lot of information that by itself, it's hard to get something out of it. But when you have... I know machine learning working with it, looking at how those variations can be associated with certain conditions, you can actually get early warnings for, for something that before was impossible to, to detect or, or you know, to get any clue of what was going on. But I know nowadays, all that data is more readily available. You know, the biosensors are cheaper, people are more open to use it, and you can actually get meaningful insights out of it, which until now was, was very hard. It's still growing, but I think it's it's one of the ones that we're going to see a huge impact within the next few years. And this is something where, just to continue on with Joao's point, because it is so important, uh, there has been a dramatic increase in interest on the governmental level, on the public health level, in disease monitoring, right? And so this gets into the synthesis of all those diagnostic tools that Joao was just talking about, but also just public health efforts, um, sewage testing. I've never seen so much sewage testing in my life before. It's become just a common thing now looking for predicting outbreaks and it's working quite well. Uh, the idea of combining multiple, say saliva samples into a single test to see where is their risk. The modern track and trace systems, right? All of these sort of integrate together to make for uh, populations which are, or societies, which are develop, developing a resilience towards future outbreaks, which I think is absolutely fascinating. Yeah, and I think COVID is really the, the means with which these 
companies are expanding their portfolio, they notice there's increased interest. The companies, I think, in 2021, on average, have about a 20% increase in revenue that they're reinvesting in a lot of cases in. So, so to say that their COVID dollars are reinvested into exploring new markets or exploring new types of diagnostics. Um, and I think that is not only true for diagnostics, but perhaps an adjacent uh, topic that we can cover as well. This is, of course, also true for the vaccines um, and some of the therapeutics that have a similar kind of impact on infectious disease study, where really this is going to waver out from beyond COVID to other diseases, other disease areas and other types of diagnostics. So it sounds like there's there's some excess funds um, from a, a variety of places or, or things that maybe weren't allocated, but now can be allocated to more proactive research applications of different areas. Can, can you be a little more specific on, on what you mean by that, Michael, some of those different applications? And then Joao, Ryan, feel free to, to comment as well. Yeah, I, I, I guess one of the ones I already mentioned would be gearing it towards other infectious disease. I think that's the, the low-hanging fruit in, in, in this case for diagnostics, at least. On the other hand, I think if you think about other types of um, areas, it, it could be uh, looking at immunology, looking at oncology. So especially looking at the sensitivity increase that's required for COVID diagnostics to become sustainable at an at-home situation. These could be very easily translated to other areas as well. And maybe jumping a bit at topics now, but I think another thing that COVID really changed is um, just our supply chain and in different ways, because one thing that I think everyone got uh, a standard realization of is, hey, we, we get stuff coming from all over the place. And if, if something breaks in this communication, right, we're in a bit of a bad shape. You know, so a big thing we've seen, for example, is essential medicines. There's been a huge push um, in you know, different regions of the world to make sure that, hey, we need to be able to make those here, right? It's, and it's kind of came at a big shift of the trend we've had, which is just, I know, offshore manufacturing, right? It, if you can get a cheaper place to manufacture that, um, you'll do it. But I know now we're realizing that, okay, we do need to have something ready in place for when I know situations like this happen. And I think that's just one of the interesting things I, I've seen regarding supply chain. But, uh, but yeah, I'm sure that, Ryan, you, you work a lot on this. What, what, are your, what are some of your thoughts there? Uh, <laughs> we have, what, a minute? Um, at the highest level, I think one thing which this situation we're in now has taught many companies is that calculating the, co the true cost of supply chain and supply chain disruptions is actually very difficult because there are a number of these sort of risk-associated externalities and technological um, you know, solutions at various points in the value chain, which depending on what you're doing are or are not appropriate. But this is all sort of a very long-winded way of saying it's in the drug space in particular, there are a shocking number of drugs uh, which are made using agricultural methods or just very slow processes, which can lead to disruptions in the supply of very, very important medicines. Uh, getting that more under control, managing those supply chain issues, uh, reshoring development where appropriate to countries where the need lives is something which is being more and more explored given everything that we're experiencing right now. 
So you guys bring up a lot of good points. There's a lot to think about and reflect on. I think the big question that a lot of us are starting to ask is, when is this thing going to end? There's a lot of factors. There's a lot of politically charged uh, opinions about this. But from a scientific perspective, from the treatment perspective, obviously Pfizer has come out with this pill and there are others probably developing similar things. How do we get to the finish? Um, what are the things and factors which need to be in place? Maybe let's, let's go around the horn because I know this is sort of a open-ended conversation that we could probably go on forever, but maybe just from each of you, where, where is this thing going to end? Michael, let's, let's start with you. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, I think if, if, if one thing I learned um, from this pandemic, it's, it's not to make any predictions about how pandemics run, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm not going to leave it at that. Um, I, I think one of the, one of the key uh, realizations that I had is that um, testing is, is getting incredibly important, um, especially in monitoring and, and testing frequency is especially important in monitoring outbreaks across the world. So that's one thing I feel will impact the amount of time that we will spend globally um, within this pandemic, going from region to region or, or from, from place to place, so to say. I think the other, uh, the other point I want to make, and that's more of a, I, I guess, a, a, a virus-based point, is that as we see these, these new variants popping up, I think there, it is good to assume that at least um, what we see now is, is potentially going to happen again. So on that end, I'm not too confident that this is going to be the last, the Omicron variant is going to be the last thing that we see. It's probably going to happen in cycles um, as, we, as we go along. And even though I know a lot of people are, are um, in favor of the hypothesis that it sort of will start to coexist with humans and become less virulent, I'm not... 100% sure, and I'm very sorry for our readers to be a bit, uh, in this case, realistic, that it, it's it's not necessarily going to mean that it's it's going to become less virulent and going to disappear automatically. So I really think that the interventions and, and testing will be will be central to decreasing that time. Well, why don't, why don't you take us home um, on that point, and then we'll kick things to Ryan. Yeah, I... I'm not sure. Um, yeah, regarding that point, I, I do feel that it's likely to to become less virulent over time. I don't think it's going to go away by itself, but I know from it, it's a guess, right? But I would expect it to be one path that it can take, which is something that does happen to to a few viruses. I find that one thing that COVID brought to us was showing that I know the, the pharmaceutical and biotechnology industry they're really resilient, and when needed, they can really get I know their thoughts together and and do things fast. You know, we saw. MRA vaccines come up, they've been on testing for, for years. You know, there was a need, they, they were ready and then they came out. It can be adapted uh, quickly. I know we see antivirals being developed. You just mentioned uh, the pill from, from Pfizer that just came up. So there's going to be more tools that are going to make this more manageable. That That's my guess. I agree with Michael. Testing is important. And I think we're going to continue on this status of, I know, going a bit more into prevention mode and a bit more into normal modes for a while until we get into a new status quo. Excellent, Joao and Michael. Ryan, I leave it to you to, to make a very bold prediction, maybe a hot take, if you will. So feel free. So I think there's a lot of room for optimism here. First of all, uh, it's important to note that it is bananas 
that we are talking about near development very soon for a vaccine for variants to COVID. So soon after development, like it's using more traditional vaccine uh, development methods. The idea of being close to a new vaccine already would be preposterous. So uh, it, it's I can't stress enough how exciting that is just at a high level. And really, some of the tools that have been developed for um, dealing with COVID on the public health level, on the public-private public partnership level, I mean, we don't have much time to get into it now, but the relationship between uh, governments and scientists and, you know, public academia setting scientists and industry in this whole process has been incredible, right? Um Many of these kinds of modalities that have been opened uh, are likely to give us really great tools for treating not only future variants of COVID, which, Michael, I think they will be less virulent, but we'll see. Uh, one of us will be right. Uh, but I think also for other diseases, you know, cancer, other viruses, I think we're developing a very robust tool set for dealing with future challenges. And I'm personally very excited about that. Happy holidays. <laughs> <laughs> well said. Thank you. Thank you all for your, for your truncated thoughts throughout 20, 2021. And that is going to be all the time that we have for today. We hope you've enjoyed this conversation and the others that we've had throughout the year. If you're not a subscriber already, find us on Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher, and you can join us next year as we continue to discuss and postulate big ideas in healthcare. care.